Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome everybody back to the Believe in the Jets podcast. It has been a little bit of a delay. Unfortunately, we have some life issues that got in the way, but we are very glad to be back ahead of the draft. Very glad to dive into this draft class. Uh, we're going to get right into it and talking about our favorite options, the fourth and 10th pick for the Jets. Uh, first things first, a uh, handful of good players here. There's a lot of guys we really like that we would be happy with overall, but it's about marrying team need as well as player fit and which players are available that fit those needs. Um, So there's a guy that Lamont and I have been talking about for a while now that we're just going to get right into right off the jump. Uh, And that is Jermaine Johnson from Florida State, the defensive end. Uh, Lamont, go ahead and talk about Jermaine specifically as a former player, as an offensive player, as a running back, having to pass protect against these guys in the NFL. What does Jermaine Johnson have that makes you love him so much? First of all, he has great ball get off. I like the way he gets off of the ball. Um, He's a tall guy, long arms that does a great job of using his hands and creating separation and getting his eyes on the ball. Um, I like the way he gets up the field. Um, I I think as he continues, as he goes throughout his pro career, I think he's going to add in more pass rushes, um, pass rush moves. And when you're playing, when you're talking about, when you look at the AFC East, when you look at Miami mobile quarterback, when you look at Buffalo, you got a mobile quarterback. You want a defensive end that can keep the quarterback from turning the corner. We've talked about this many times throughout the season about making sure that quarterbacks aren't able to get around the edge and come downhill. Um, He's a guy that just does a great job of setting the edge. And I think that he's a guy that each year as a pro, I can just see him getting better and better. I think that he's a percent agree. I think he's a future all pro. I think that he's a pro bowler. Um, And the thing that I love best about him is his motor. This guy, when you watch his film, he's on the field every single play. Yep. Whole drive, he's on the field, and that's critical. That is critical. When you're talking about playing a team like like the Buffalo Bills, who has this high-powered offense, he's a guy that no matter what offensive tackle you put in front of him, I think that he's going to be able to control them or hold his own. The thing that I love about him is I've never seen him get blown off the ball by one person. Nope. Like he's getting double teamed. That's the only way that one person has been able to stop him. So I, I, I'm a huge, huge Jermaine Johnson fan. And even from a running back's perspective, when you're looking at the defensive side of the ball and you're running any type of outside play, if you see him on the edge nine times mm-hmm. out, and you know, this ball is not getting outside. So now this is forcing the running back to cut the ball back up inside. Um, I, I think that for me, this is a no-brainer pick that that Jermaine Johnson will be taking with one of the first two picks for the Jets. Yeah, I really do. Uh, I think so as well. I'm right there with you. Um, if Kayvon Thibodeau is not available at fourth overall, and I'm really starting to think a week out from the draft that he won't be, um, I think Jermaine Johnson fourth overall is inevitable, and I would be so pleased and happy with it. Um, you said everything that I wanted to highlight. First and foremost, he is the best edge setter in this draft class Mm -hmm. in terms of stopping the outside run, getting a hard edge, getting his long arm, one arm inside on the tight end or the tackle and just holding them in place. He doesn't always have to overpower them and completely just drive the gap in. He makes sure that he sets the edge strong and he's in position, but he's always in position to make a play on the ball too. He's never 
over aggressive. He's just the right amount of aggressive to where he's always in control with a play. And then his ability to disengage and redirect uh, is great from there. Like you said, with mobile quarterbacks, his ability in space, his ability to change direction, his ability to accelerate, um, chase down players to the edge, whether it be quarterbacks or ball carriers, I think is really, really, really good for his size, especially. Um, I think he's bendy for his size. It's not the most amazing part of his game. He doesn't have, you know, outright amazing, fantastic elite bend. But for 6'4", 250, 34-inch arms and his ability to dip, his ankles are really able to bend a lot better than his hips are, and that allows him to flatten really well. Um, And last but not least, his motor, like you mentioned, where FSU was not a great team last year. It's not like this was, you know, he's playing on Alabama and he's playing for national championships. He was used to being at Georgia where they were playing for playoff spots and they're in the sec and they're undefeated. And he was a role player at Georgia for two years. He goes to FSU and gets the chance to start. And it didn't matter if it was the first quarter or the fourth quarter, or if they were up 14 points or down 35 points, Jermaine Johnson was looking like the same player on every single snap, the entire game. And he never came off the field. Those type of guys are really, really important. And you had mentioned his ability to grow in his pass rush moves. I agree. He's only started 16 career games his entire college career. He's had some other reps as a backup for his two years at Georgia, but this was his first full season as a starter and he's only been getting better. Last but not least, just this morning, um, I'd mentioned this to you off air before we started recording, but Robert Sala, uh, not Robert Sala, excuse me, Joe Douglas and Rex Hogan, uh, their assistant GM and general manager held a press conference this morning ahead of the draft. And they were asked about pass rushers and Joe Douglas, without mentioning any names brought up in this draft class specifically, how you have players that started at a different scheme went to a different school into a scheme that might be more beneficial for them and really flourished. And now you can project them in a different scheme versus to what they may have done before. That's exactly what happened to Jermaine Johnson from going from Georgia to Florida state. Georgia Mm -hmm. is a lot more of a read and react defense. They're a lot less of a fire at the ball charge head first, you know, pass rushing on early downs, their interior guys, they're two gapping, they're stacking and shedding and they want their speedy linebackers to come downhill and make the plays. It wasn't the right fit for Jermaine Johnson himself for what he wants to be and the type of player he believed he could be. So he wanted to go to a scheme that could really unleash him. And by golly, he was right. And I think that we've seen what he can do and and quite honestly, the same exact style of defense that he would be playing in in New York from a defensive line standpoint. And he did really, really, really well at it. He's only been getting better. I, I don't see many holes in him. Yeah, I agree with you. And here's the other thing. When you talk about his speed coming off the edge, He's going to have, and, and I'm drawing a blank. I don't understand why I'm drawing a blank of who the fourth team is in the AFC West. We got the, oh, the Patriots. Majority of his games are going to be played on turf. Mm-hmm. You think about the home turf with the Jet, the turf yep. with the Patriots, and the turf with the Bills. When you're playing on turf, you're a lot faster. So I anticipate that his that he's going to be even faster playing in the AFC East simply because that turf, you can, you, you can yep. really get off the ball. Um, and here's the other thing about him, especially if you're a Jets fan, if you look at where we've been as the Jets, towards the end of the season, Florida State didn't have anything to play for. Not at all. They didn't have anything to play for. But what you saw was the same effort from him at the end of the season that you saw at the beginning of the season, like when they had something to play for. So when you talk about having guys, and we talked about this throughout the, throughout the season, which guys want to play football. He strikes me as a guy that just wants to play football. You also look at the screen game. He's a guy that can be very disruptive in the screen game because of his his long legs, his speed, and his ability to cover ground. 
even if you run a screen to his side, he's able to redirect, come back and make yeah. the place for me. Um, you know, I think with either the fourth or the 10th pick, um, I think you and I both agree that, that, Hey, with the fourth pick, take Jermaine Johnson, if they are to take one of the offensive tackles with the fourth pick, you know, I, I'm okay with that because Same either, man. either the top three tackles, we can live with them. I love the kid from, uh, NC state. I really love him. Yeah. I love nasty. Yeah. I love, and that's what the jets need. We yep. talked about this last year. Tevin Coleman was the enforcer on the offensive side of the ball. You bring in this guy from NC State, now you have an enforcer on the offensive mm. line. If you're able to get those two guys, I think this makes this Jets team significantly different, uh, significantly better. And when you think about the future, because we talked about this during the season, how many young guys this team has that have contributed that we believe are going to get better. So uh, for me, uh, it, it's Jermaine Johnson. You, you you have to take Jermaine Johnson either fourth or tenth overall. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Uh, personally, I don't think he gets to ten, and that's why I think you have to take him at four. Um, I think really? the Seattle Seahawks will take him ninth overall if he is there, knowing that the Jets will would be pouncing for joy if they pass on him, ready to take him ten if they don't take a defensive end early. So I think you're taking a really big gamble by not taking. Jermaine at four if he's the guy you're really sold on and you know you want an edge out of this draft class and I really think out of this draft class with the talented edge you really should want one if you need one you really should get one you should get one of these really really top quality pass rushers where I was talking about this with uh, my co-host on my other show uh, last week we were doing the trenches episode on Oklahoma drill where I had said Jermaine Johnson in particular is my number two edge in this class behind Kayvon Thibodeau I have Aiden Hutchinson behind him at number three any of the three of them would be the first or second best defensive end in any of the last like three or four draft classes mm -hmm. where the year chase young com comes out. It would be chase young, Kayvon, chase young, Jermaine, chase young, Hutchinson, and then a gap before anybody else. You had guys like Aziz Ojolari and Jalen Phillips last year. I'd have Jermaine higher than both of those guys. If he was coming out last year, and this was the tape I was grading. This is a really talented edge class go get one of these really talented players because they're going to go really fast. And for the Jets in particular, would Iquanu be great? Yeah, he's a fantastic player. I think Evan Neal's a great player too. I think Charles Cross is an excellent pass protector and is going to spend a lot of years in the league as a left tackle or a right tackle. I'm going to say that for all three of these guys. But that means you're giving up on Makai Becton after two years. That means Joe Douglas is the type of guy to say, this is the first draft pick I ever made as a general manager and I'm giving up on him after less than two full seasons. Of, of starting play is yeah. joe douglas the type of guy to do that if he is we'll see what happens if they value these tackles that incredibly highly to where they're willing to say you know as good as we believe becton could have been we think this guy can be even better and you know we we love him that much more is it possible sure and if it happens am i going to be upset about it not necessarily because i know the jets are going to be getting a really really good player on their offensive line and that's going to help zach wilson and help their offense overall but if it was up to me in terms of who I want to make an impact on this team right away, knowing the roster I already have and knowing I have starting holes to fill on defense and on that defensive line for Robert Sala's defense to work correctly, I want Jermaine Johnson. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I agree with you. I, I, I say take Jermaine Johnson with the fourth pick. And if you want to take an offensive lineman, you take the offensive lineman with the 10th pick. I like that a lot better. You know, whether it's Neil Cross, um, any of those guys, the top three guys, I, I think that you take Jermaine Johnson first. I don't think that you run the risk of 
allowing Seattle to to take that pick. Um, now, what are your thoughts on Seattle possibly taking wide receiver at that pick? Um, I mean, I would hope that would indicate they're trading DK Metcalf if they feel like they need to take a receiver with that pick. Because um, they still have Tyler Lockett. They still have DK there. Um, they added Noah Fan at tight end, who's more of a receiving tight end, who's a downfield threat. And Pete Carroll's never going to want to be the type of guy that's going to want to have a wide open vertical passing offense anyway. I think that's why there was issues with Russell Wilson to start with. So if they do go receiver, I would hope that means they've traded DK Metcalf or plan to trade DK Metcalf. And if they don't, it would be surprising. It would be out of their wheelhouse. Um, but that does lead me to what I think we should talk about next, which is the 10th overall pick which is in my personal opinion, I think you have to take a wide receiver there because mm. they need another piece to this offense in that receiving core for, as we've seen with the way the jets have constructed uh, their roster through free agency, they're going to run a ton of 12 personnel. They're going to have Tyler Conklin and CJ Uzama on the field together a lot. That leaves two receiver positions and they can either be out on the boundary or they can be aligned in certain tight splits or any way, you know, Michael Ford draws it up, but that mm -hmm. gives you two main receiving options that are your one a and your one B and they both got to be effective because otherwise you can bracket coverage and you can kind of shift safeties the other ways. You're hoping your tight ends can be a vertical threat that'll pull a safety, but you're asking a lot out of your tight ends when you should be asking that out of your receivers. Yes. So you need another guy opposite Elijah Moore because Elijah Moore is one of those guys. You need a guy opposite Elijah Moore that can be a threatening vertical speed freak that's going to scare defenses. And so the two guys in this draft to me that fit that bill the best are Jamison Williams from Alabama and Chris Olave at Ohio State. Mm. If Williams was fully healthy, if he wasn't coming off an ACL in January and he was going to be available right away to be in training camp and develop chemistry with Zach Wilson and learn the offense and, and do all of that, not that I think that the offense he's coming from is all that much different to where he'd have to have too much of a learning curve, but even still, he's going to have a ramp up where he's not going to, he's going to jump right in while the NFL is in full playing shape and he's going to be coming off having not played in nine months. Mm. If that wasn't factored in, I'd be running the card in at 10th overall for but because of that, because Joe Douglas also mentioned earlier this morning that he values availability and keeping his players healthy, and we saw how injuries affected the Jets last year, I think they might steer away from guys with an injury history or guys that can't come in and be contributors right away that they have no concerns about outside of that. If you believe a guy's healthy and he gets hurt after that, there's nothing you can really do. But making things more difficult by taking players that are already hurt and hoping they get better – I think you can be, get dicey, especially with how we saw the Jets uh, roster go last year. So that, to me, says Chris Olave. He's a team captain, which we know Joe Douglas loves. He's an athletic freak. Uh, he's able to run by coverage, continue as an extra gear when he's separating deep. When he gets about 25, 30 yards down the field and he's making his last break, he can turn on the Jets and explode and continue separating to where as he's pulling away, whatever DB is covering him is not even in the frame. And he's able to continue to get downfield to make a play on the ball uh, without stopping, without slowing down or anything else. He's able to uh, track the ball really well. His catching in traffic is fantastic. And he's a consistent receiver on top of that. He's able to make plays over the middle. He's an excellent route runner. He's a guy that's going to be your quarterback's best friend. And also the dude that's going to scare the heck out of defensive coordinators because they know if they underestimate his speed, the ball's going over their head. If you could have those two guys and Elijah Moore and Chris Olave 
who can both chop you up with routes underneath, who can both make catches over the middle, who can both burn pursuit angles and both scare the heck out of your safeties with those two tight ends, with Michael Carter in the backfield, with Zach Wilson's arm, that's a danged if you do, danged if you don't situation for a defense. Because you got to come up and play strong against 12 personnel in that run game. And the second you do, you got two guys who are going to punish you for it. That, I think, is the ideal Jets offense. That's how they want their offense to run. And they're really missing that missing piece on offense to make it happen. I, I tell you what, I disagree with the two tight end set. I, I, really? You know, I, I am a fan of Berrios. And I think you go with one tight end, you go with three wide receivers, and you spread things out. I think by spreading things out, that makes things a lot easier on Carter. Um, to, you can get him more involved with the two tight end set. I think you're inviting more eight man boxes. Um, for me, with that pick, I like you, you know, I'm, I'm maybe it's just the Merlin in me, but I just think Ohio State guys are just overrated offensively. You know, I just I, I can just, see that. I can see the argument you're making for that. And this is the one thing I will say that I agree for everyone but Chris Olave. Because okay. Chris Olave does so many of the little things that would be good regardless of what team he was on. Where his ability to track the ball, his hands, his ability to settle into coverage, his ability to separate on routes and be quick and his head fakes, the little nuances to his game where it's not so much Garrett Wilson is a little more of the space player, a little more of the acrobatic. I'm going to go up and make a fancy catch, but I was covered the whole time. So mm -hmm. it's, you know, a give and a take. I think Chris Olave does so many of the little things well on top of his athletic talent. That's why I'm so high on him because I just, I, I don't see, I don't see anything in him outside of wishing he was a little bit bigger and wishing he was a little bit better of a blocker. But there's plenty of receivers that aren't the most physical guys that are just hard as heck to keep up with. And I, every time I watch him, I see Stephon Diggs. I see this. That's, I think he can be that type of player in the NFL. I, I, you know what? I, it's, here's my thing. If with I'm Ohio. crazy. I'm crazy. I'm fine with that. No, no, no. no listen, I, I'm with you. First of all, I feel like Chris Olave has been in college forever. He has right? been there a while, but he also I'm, broke out really young. And I think that's an advantage to him is that you're remembering that because he was making plays as a 19 year old true freshman at Ohio state and has just had three straight years of great production. So he might mm -hmm. seem older than he really is where in reality, it's just, he's been balling for years. Here's it. I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, I, I like, you know, I, I like Chris Olave. It's just that when I'm watching players constantly play against off coverage, um, you know, that's, you know, yeah. that's, that's, that's a concern for me because when you get to the NFL, you're going to be dealing with some guys that, that can just flat out play. And when I look at the best available players at the cornerback spot, you know, you would have to go all the way down to 19 when you look at cornerbacks before you find any cornerback from the Big Ten that's considered to be one of the best. So when I take, I take that into account, like none of these guys from the Big Ten are considered to, at the cornerback position you have to go all the way down to 19 before you find a top guy. That tells me that the competition that you're playing. Can, I, can I give you one? Yes, please. Okay. Uh, Joey Porter Jr. at Penn State. He's a true sophomore. Mm -hmm. Probably going to be a first-round pick next year. Mm -hmm. Long press corner. Obviously son of Steelers Joey Porter. Mm -hmm. Chris Olave toasted him. Okay. Young guy. Young guy, yes. 
Yeah, I mean, Chris Olave. Chris Olave toasted him as Chris Olave toasted him when Olave was a sophomore and he was a freshman, and then did it again the next year. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, I, I'm like this. If we're going to take it, I would rather put it this way. And we've talked about this during the show. I would rather find a way to move Corey Davis, get Debo Samuels in here and stay away from any of these wide receivers with with the first round pick. That would be I, my goal. I I'm am not, not. I wouldn't be against that. If I am using Corey Davis to lessen the acquisition cost of Debo Samuel, I kind of like that a lot. Yeah, I would rather do that than to take a chance on any of these guys uh, in the first round. Um, I, I, I like I like the boy Garrett. Out of Ohio. He's good too. Yeah, I, I like I, him too. I, yeah, I like him. I, I feel like you can't go wrong with either of these guys, but it's just something about Wilson that I like. Um, he's flashier. He, I think he is flashier. I just, I just feel like he's more of a phys- I think he's a more physical wide receiver than Olave. I can see that. I can I, I see think, that. And I think that that's what you need. I, I think Alave, a good route runner, great speed, but he's consistently seeing off coverage. I just think for the NFL level, I, I would rather go with Garrett Wilson. I stay away from Drake London. I stay away from Wilson. Um, here's something else that I take into account also. Um, why I don't mind taking one of these guys from Ohio State because you're playing for the Jets. That means that in the months of November and December that you run the, the, the possibility of playing in Buffalo in December, playing in New, New England in December, and playing in New York in December. I would much rather have a wide receiver that's used to playing in that kind of weather opposed to guys who are used to playing in domes or playing in hot weather. I just think that yeah. it, you know, it can have an effect on them. So um, I think we both agree that if they take a wide receiver that you know, you take one of the Ohio State wide receivers. I just think we differ in, in who they should go with. But I really think that if they go with a too tight set, having Corey Davis on the field with Elijah Moore, I'm just I'm just not completely – I've never been sold on Corey Davis being a number one wide receiver. Um, and if you take a wide receiver with one of these picks, I think that the Jets are saying that they aren't even comfortable with Corey Davis as a number one receiver because why would you – give him the money and then go draft a year later, draft a wide receiver with yeah. one, either the fourth or the 10th. Why would pick. you try and trade for Tyreek Hill? Yeah. Why would you try to t- trade for Tyreek Hill? So for me, everything is saying, I, I'm like this, if I'm the jets, I try to find a way to move Corey Davis during the draft. Um, and if that works, then yes, you go ahead and draft, draft the wide receiver, but I try to move Corey Davis and I get Debo Samuels in here. Getting Debo Samuels with Tevin Coleman, oh my gosh, Braxton Berrios, oh my goodness, Elijah Moore, oh, you you have weapons there. You, you have weapons there. You do. This is my only issue with that, and I'd be don't get me wrong. They get Debo, I'm all for it. Mm-hmm. I, if it's take a receiver at ten or use the tenth pick straight up for Debo Samuel, give me Debo Samuel. I don't know if they'll be able to make that deal. I don't know if it'll be that simple or how things will work out, or even if the 49ers will want to make the trade because they've got Garoppolo sitting on their bench for so long, knowing that he's waiting to be traded and they don't seem to care about that either. So I don't know what this situation is going to play out or look like, but I would be all for acquiring him in a vacuum. And if you do acquire him, I do think that gives you range to shop Corey Davis. I do think that gives you range to move on from him because I think his role in the offense can be very similar. Now, this is the thing with Debo in particular. Everything that I've seen, um, it's not like this is hard to find, so I'm not breaking any news here, but everything that I've seen, 
it sounds like he doesn't want to be used as a running back anymore. Mm-hmm. It sounds like he wants to be used more as a traditional receiver, which I'm fine with. I'm not against any of that. And I'm not trying to sit here and say anything against Debo Samuel for feeling that way either, because he doesn't want to take extra hits on his body and shorten his career as a wide receiver, knowing mm-hmm. that that's ultimately his game more so than taking carries out of the backfield for Kyle Shanahan is. So mm-hmm. I understand that from his perspective for sure. But then you have to factor that in as a team that's drafting him or a team that's trading for him. Are you getting the quality of player that you think you are going to be bringing to your offense? If this is going to be a guy that doesn't want to be used in a way that's made him very successful. And I don't think that's the only way you have to use him to make him successful. I think you can use him in a myriad of ways and he'll be really good at a lot of them. I think he's a solid receiver too, just outright as a receiver. But that's a bit more of a projection for me. And I think for the Jets in particular, what fans would expect, what Michael LaFleur would want to draw up, where they would want to go with the offense, like you're saying, you say all, all the time a lot, you hate the college stuff. You hate the, you know, 17 motions and we're going to try and, and draw somebody out here and come back the other way and, and all that extra misdirection. I feel like you add Debo Samuel, it's just more reason to do more of that. It's more reason to incorporate more of that into your offense because you're going to go, oh, well, now we have more on one side and Debo on the other, and either of them can go across and Barrios in the slot and he can motion and, and we can do a play action here or fake a screen. And, and from a defensive standpoint, does that give you a lot to think about? Yes, but a lot of those things also take a while to develop. And it's kind of like a, mm-hmm. if it's there, it hits and it's great. And if it doesn't, it's a bad play. So I would want someone in a perfect world if we're trading for veteran receivers and I can have, you know, anybody of the potential available guys, give me DK Metcalf. I would take him ahead of everyone else. First and foremost, it would not even be a discussion. That would be a plus for whatever they would have to take to get him. After that, AJ Brown. And after that, Debo Samuel of the three available guys, I think he'd be the one I would want the least. I'd still be super happy with it. I'd Mm -hmm. still be perfectly on board with adding a quality player that a guy had 1400 total yards from scrimmage and like 16 Mm -hmm. touchdowns last year. I'm yes, please. I want that on my offense, but Mm -hmm. it wouldn't be the all-star home run acquisition that fits exactly what they want. That's exactly their skill set. That's what they want to add to this offense. And I think that's evidenced by the fact that they tried to trade for Tyree Kitt. They want speed. Yes, They want speed. You don't go and try and trade for Tyreek Hill unless you want vertical speed. You're not trading for Tyreek Hill to give him jet sweeps. (laughs) So they want another outside threat. They want to take advantages of of Wilson's arm. They want that deep ball to scare defenses. And like you're saying, Lamont, eight-man boxes against 12. That's the point. So they can call play action against those eight-man boxes and say, your safeties are down too close. You're not keeping up with these two guys. And we're going to throw it over your head until you back that safety off. And the second you do, now it's going to Carter. That's the ideal way they want their offense to run. And that's why I think they needed that speed freak on the outside to go with it. And it's why they traded for Tyreek. I don't know if Debo can be that in the same vein that they want Tyreek to have been. I think it would have been Calvin Ridley if he didn't get suspended. Yeah. And I think we wouldn't even be having this discussion because that would have already been a trade that happened before free agency. So. I just don't know if it's the most ideal fit. I don't know if you're going to be getting the exact same type of player you think you're going to be getting, but would I rather just trade 10 for Debo than risk one of these receivers becoming what I think they'll become? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that here. I, I will counter that with this. 
Debo has experience at playing a running back position, so he's developed that toughness mentality. I that like he running, does have. I like running him on a slant and taking these flashy corners that want no part of contact, letting him catch a slant, a hitch, break tackles, and then go. That I think he that does really piece. well. Yeah, and I I'll give that you that. That's a piece that he brings to the table from the wide receiver position. So I think that he, with him getting that experience in San Francisco, if you want to do jet sweeps, use Braxton Berrios for that. Yeah, use him. I think you could use Elijah Moore too. That's where I kind of feel like is that's why they added Elijah Moore is that they wanted Elijah Moore to be their Debo Samuel before they knew he was going to be available a year later. Is when they were coming in as the new coaches and they said we're trying to replicate this 49ers offense. Corey Davis is our ex. He's our route runner. He's our outside guy mainly for however that's working out. Elijah Moore is our gadget guy for lack of a better word. All these guys have to be versatile. All these guys have to be able to do different things and align in different spots. That's what makes this offense so hard to stop is you never know who's doing what. Mm -hmm. But ideally, they have their preferred roles. They have their things that they're going to do better than other people. And I think that's why they added Elijah Moore, because they needed that guy on their team, not knowing they had Barrios as well. But yeah, I'm I'm with you. I if you can get Debo, go get him. Just don't overpay. And if you can get him for a fair offer, then make it happen. If not, you still need another receiver. I, I agree with you. I, I think you try to package Corey Davis and you trade him. Yeah. I, I, That's I, best I'm, case I'm, scenario. I'm sitting here looking and to be honest with you, if I could trade Corey Davis and the team wants this 35th or the 38th pick along with him, I trade him just to get him out of here. And and make room for somebody that's that that's going to be that because if you bring Debo Samuels in, I, I think he's another enforcer. The fact that he can play the running back position, he gives you another guy that is an enforcer on the offensive side of the ball. So, um, I'm looking at it like this: Debo, Moore, Barrios, Barrios, Debo, Moore. Any uh, of Debo, them can be anywhere. Debo, and that's the point that I'm trying to get to is now. I, you, I feel it. I listen. I get that. You have three guys on the field at any given time that are great route runners that can catch the ball and hit the home run, and they have the ability to make you miss. Debo Samuels is a more physical guy. As a defense, now you got to worry about three wide receivers. You have to worry about a tight end catching passes, and you have to figure out how you're going to stop Carter out of the backfield catching passes. That is dangerous. You put that's Corey the missing Davis, piece. You put Corey Davis on the field, you can put your best corner on him, and I think that you can kind of shut him down a little bit, and then you can shift your coverage to everywhere else. I don't yeah. think you can do that with with the, with that combination of three wide receivers. I don't think that you have enough defensive backs on your team to be able to handle that. I, you know what? I don't think you're wrong at all. I think that we are making the same point just in a different way, in that you need to bracket Debo because he'll break one tackle and then run through the other four. And if you don't have guys rallying the ball to get him where he can take that comeback route, catch it, run through the ball as he's coming back to it, hit a gear, put his foot in the ground. And then it's a straight line to the end zone where he just continues accelerating like a freight train, excuse me, and just doesn't slow down. And it's the arm tackles and guys are falling off of him and his legs are just churning and churning and churning. There's something there. There's absolutely something to that. And it's, yes. it shows up in his ability to play running back because it's that same sort of gliding speed and that buildup speed and that power behind it and the leg drive and the quickness to just, it's so funny because it's like he gets up to speed quick, but then he still just keeps getting faster. Yes. He's never getting to the point where he's going like four, three 
or he's mm-hmm. absolutely blazing by people, but it seems like he just continues to accelerate and accelerate and accelerate the longer he runs. And that's just so hard to keep up with when you're a defensive back or you're someone trying to make a tackle over the middle. And Elijah Moore is the same way where we saw against the, uh, the dolphins last year against Byron Jones, where he wins on a quick post to the inside, catches the ball in stride, breaks one tackle off his ankles and then boom up the sidelines, 70 yards gone. So having two of those guys, whether it's you catch it over the middle and go for 80 or you scare them deep by going for 80, it's still going to scare defenses. And that's yep. what I think needs to happen for, for this uh, team is to scare defenses. Um, that's yep. going to lead me to, I think will be our last point here. Um, is this something I thought about for the last few days? I haven't brought up to you yet, but I want to get your opinion on this. Um, the option of cornerback at four or 10. Mm. I like sauce Gardner a lot. I think Derek Stingley is, is quietly going to be one of the better players out of this draft class. Cause mm-hmm. I think that there's some stuff at LSU that has some scheme changes that affected him and you get him in the right spot and let him do what he does, does best. And I think he can be really good too. Mm-hmm. But here's my thing with the jets in particular, when I'm looking at what I think they're going to do versus what I would necessarily do myself. I don't think they value corner that high in the draft. Okay. And even if they did, I don't think they're going to fit with the guys that are at the top of the class, mainly being Gardner and Stingley, because Robert Sala has shown that he likes small corners. Mm. Robert Sala likes guys that are quicker, that break on the ball faster, that are feistier in coverage, that make plays in traffic. He doesn't necessarily need the complete sticky coverage artist. He wants the guy that can come and break down and make a play on the ball and attack it in the air. We've seen throughout his history of guys that he's added, uh, throughout their defense, Jason Verrett, DJ Reed, who was another guy in San Francisco, and then Seattle keeps him in Seattle and has him for a little bit there. Just signed him with the Jets again. There are a bunch of different opportunities, or a bunch of different guys that have played corner for Robert Sala that are smaller than the traditional Pete Carroll cover three scheme that you would expect. Everyone's mm-hmm. going to see the sauce connection and go, he's 6'3 and long, and he looks like Richard Sherman. He's perfect for the scheme. Yeah, none of that's wrong. No one's making a connection that isn't there. It's absolutely a fair connection to make. But Robert Sala in particular is the one guy in the tree who hasn't followed the mold. He's the Mm. only guy that's been out of this coaching tree that's gone on that hasn't looked for the absolute got to be six foot, got to be 32 inch arm, you know, tall, long, wiry corners. He's been perfectly willing to play guys that are smaller if they have better instincts, if they can play the ball better, if their ball skills look better. Um, And I think that, that being said, after you sign DJ Reed again, and you're going to have either Brandon Eccles or Bryce Hall be your cornerback too, you still have Michael Carter in the slot. You still have Javon Guidry. I don't know if they need a corner that badly to take one at four or 10, mm-hmm. where I think that, and on top of what we've seen with their ability to draft them in the later rounds, I think they've shown they can wait and afford to get a later round guy and make him fit the scheme too. Mm-hmm. Here's where I am with the cornerback spot. All right. There are three guys that I really like. Mm-hmm. All right. There are three guys that I really like. We spoke earlier when we brought up Sauce earlier in the year, where I was really a fan of Cody Bryant. Like him too, still. Yep. Um, a guy that I'm a huge fan of that I think personally would be a good fit in Detroit because they run cover two is Trent McDuffie out of Washington. Um, but the person that I have the Jets taking in the third with in the second round with the 35th pick, 
I like Andrew Booth Jr. out of Clemson. That would be Close my of his all get out. That 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 would be that would be my pick. Great athlete. Um, I mean, he just I mean it's, to me, he has playmaker instincts, he attacks the ball. And here's the big part: he's willing to come in there and stick his face in there to make tackles. Um, all three of those guys, I believe, are willing to come up and make hits, make tackles. So for me, if the Jets go with a cornerback, I think that they take a cornerback with either the 35th pick or the 38th pick in the second round. And I think it would be one of those three guys because I don't think Sauce will be there. No, uh, I don't think I don't think Stingley would be there. Mm-mm. Um, you know, and then Booth right now, he's like the right now. He, he could be. He's the fourth best cornerback available. And I just think that early in the second round, you sign, you, I mean, you sign uh, Gentry back for a one-year deal um, yep. and they signed Riley back for a one-year deal. I think Andrew Booth would be a great fit here with the Jets. He would. Yeah, no, he absolutely would. He comes from his own scheme in Clemson uh, under Brent Venables before he went to Oklahoma uh, in the op- this past offseason. Uh, complicated zone. He's had to play in uh, match situations. He's had to play in deep third situations. He's, you know, been in the similar situations to what Robert Sala is going to ask of his corners too. So I can mm-hmm. see the the translation there. He's a incredible athlete. The his recovery speed is it's jaw dropping at times when he gets beat and his ability to turn and get back up and accelerate. He's he's got some wheels. Um, I am a little questioning him because I think he's a little bit over aggressive. But that said, I think Robert Sala would rather you be over aggressive than under aggressive anyway. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's going to necessarily be a downside for them. The one guy that I think about. And the only thing that makes me a little weary about it is the amount of zone he played in college versus the amount of man. It's just the sheer snap amount because when this guy played zone, he was really good at it. He just didn't play it a ton. Mm-hmm. That's Roger McCreary at Alabama or at mm-hmm. Auburn where the measurables with him, his measurables are, are not good. He's small. His arms are historically, historically short. Um, wasn't the most explosive athlete by testing, but God, you turn on the tape and all he does is lock people up. You turn on yeah. the tape and and he's just got this like squatty, almost a Sante Samuel type movement to him where mm-hmm. he's so low and he looks like he's just like an insect crawling on the ground. He's able to move and change direction so fluidly and he attacks the ball in the air. He plays, he's smaller, but he uses every bit of his body and he's got that aggression to him. He'll come up and tackle for being a smaller guy doesn't have any fear playing in the sec and he played a lot of just you're going to be on single coverage on the number one receiver for 40 snaps in this game mm-hmm. and the few times we run zone or we do something else you know you'll be in zone and you'll be okay there so mccreary gave up a lot of yards because he was in a lot tougher situations than some of these other guys like a booth where you got venables drawing up all these creative blitzes and you got quarterbacks fearing for their life and he's coached to sit back keep your eyes on the quarterback and drive on the ball that's mm-hmm. really easily translatable to what he's going to be asked to do with the Jets. So it makes total sense. And you're not wrong for feeling that whatsoever. I completely agree. Mm-hmm. But for me, when I'm looking for the dog mentality, that's what I think Robert Sala wants in his corners. Mm-hmm. I think he wants the guys that have, doesn't care how big they are, that are going to be quick, that are going to be explosive, that are going to make plays in the ball, that are going to come up and tackle, that are not going to be in situations to waste turnovers. And I think that's really, really big. And I think that's why you're going to see, I'll call it in April. I think Brandon Eccles wins the corner job. Okay. Because I think his ball skills are better. Yep. Than Bryce Hall's. 
And I yep. think that with more time in the system that he's going to keep developing those ball skills. And Robert mm-hmm. Sala is not going to want to bench a guy that's creating turnovers. That's just something mm-hmm. Bryce Hall doesn't do. His coverage is great. He can make pass deflections, no problem. But he has had, he had a handful of opportunities for what could have been gimmies for picks mm-hmm. last year. And he just didn't do it because he doesn't play the ball. He plays the receiver's hands. So mm-hmm. I'm interesting to see what they're going to do at corner. I think they could stick with their guns with the guys they have. If they do go after somebody, I wouldn't want it to be one of the top guys because I feel like they're not the most translatable immediate scheme fits anyway. And some of these guys, like we're talking about later in the draft, we happen to like a good bit. And I think you're going to get better value. Yeah. I, I listen, I agree with you. I agree with you. The short arms does concern me. It's my biggest um, concern with him for sure. Yeah, it, it definitely concerns me when you, when you look throughout the AFC and just the big wide receivers yeah. that you're going to have to deal with. You know, yeah. that's, 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 yeah, Devontae that's Parker went from Miami to New England. You're still dealing with him twice a game. Yeah. And that's, that's still, a problem. Yeah. That's a problem. But that's why, but you know what? That's another reason why I, I like, I, I, I like Booth. I think Booth it has fits. some dog in him. He uh, does. Andrew, yeah. 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 I think that he has some of that dog in him. Um, you know, he's six feet, 194, uh, played at Clemson. Uh, and, and there's, for me, there's something to be said that think about this, think about this. Let's say this Jets draft goes this way. Let's say they take the tackle from NC state with the fourth pick. Mm -hmm. Let's say they take Johnson with the 10th pick, and then they take Booth with the 35th pick. You're talking about three ACC guys all drafted in the first two rounds playing on the same team. When you talk about competition, when you talk about the future of the team, if you can get to me, if you can get those three guys all from the ACC who have played against one another, who are going to compete with one another, I I think that you got something there with the Jets. But to finish the point about the cornerbacks, um, I I do. I, I, I like Booth. I like Booth, and I'm really interested to see where um, McDuffie goes. And I'm really interested to see where Cody Bryant goes, because I think that these are going to be two guys that are, I'm going to call them under the radar mm-hmm. when you compare it to everybody else that's in the draft. But I do think that those are two cornerbacks that may get overlooked that will make some noise in the, in the, in the NFL. Yeah. I liked McDuffie a lot. I want to ask you though, did you, did you watch his teammate Kyler Gordon on the other side? No, I, I probably need to watch him. Kyler Gordon's Trent McDuffie, but more athletic. Ah, got you. So okay. that's that's why I'm a bigger. I love I love Trent McDuffie. I think he's going to be a really good player. Kyler Gordon's the same way, where it's the instincts, the zone coverage, the eyes, the ability to drive on the ball, the dog mentality to come up and tackle guys. Okay. Like don't run a receiver screen at him. It's a terrible, terrible, terrible idea. He will snap your wide receiver in half trying to get through the block. Okay, he's he's got that. And he's got like Marshawn Lattimore movement ability. Mm, okay. okay. It's the same sort of body top position too. I'm a huge fan of Kyler Gordon. I I'm gonna check him out. I, this is the one reason I didn't mention him. A little spoiler for people ahead. I have him going to the Bills in the first round of my upcoming mock draft. I don't think he's going to be available because I think he's the perfect fit for Buffalo for what they do opposite Trey White and would be the missing piece to their secondary to really take their defense over the edge. So I'm, I would love Kyler Gordon. I'd be fine with Andrew Booth too. We saw uh, Andrew, uh, AJ Terrell, who was in another Clemson corner that went to Atlanta that played in the exact same scheme under Jeff Ulbrich, played really, really well. 
um, just this past year had been under Jeff Ulbricht for a few years before that. So we've seen the scheme translate. We know that our coaches are going to scout Clemson and scout their DBs and know that they fit for all those reasons. So I could see Booth fitting. I could see McCreary fitting for the attitude perspective and Robert Sala not so much caring about size and caring more about mental makeup and physicality and ball skills. Um, I could see Kobe Bryant fitting for a lot of those same reasons because he was the guy getting targeted when Sauce was locking down whatever receiver was on the other side of him. So, and he held his own really well. So, um, yeah, there's a lot to like in this corner group, enough to where you don't need it in the first round. Yes, I agree with you. I agree with you. And, and it's just it's just too much talent at the, at the other positions to take a cornerback yeah. with with the first pick with I mean, in the first round. So, um, hey, man, I think once again, I know we've been away for a while. You know, we apologize to our listeners, but I definitely feel like we picked up right where we left off. Um, I'm really excited about this is the this is. This is the most excited I've been about a draft since. 2001 when i got drafted yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah i normally i normally never pay attention to the draft it's just for me it's always i don't care who's drafted or where you go you still have to go to training camp and you still have to perform right and you take a guy like a um a terry mclaurin you know mm-hmm. a third round pick with the washington commanders now who's just a straight up animal i you know have, he's a, i would have moved heaven and earth for the jets to have acquired him in the offseason oh, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like, but I, he was never a, available, but yeah, I love him to death. He wasn't available, but, but, but the, the point that I'm making is that there are some quality people that you can get in the second and third round, because I think that this draft is, I think if you look at the first three tackles, they're going to go in the first round. Top 10. I think if you look at the first three defensive ends. I think that they're going to go in the, in the first round. Mm-hmm. Um, I think only one quarterback will get drafted in the first round. Maybe two, um, maybe not two. more than that. Yeah, not more than te- not more than that. Um, and we haven't even talked about running backs yet. I think the Jets should draft a running back. Agreed. And at I'm some gonna, point, yeah, I'm going to break down some film on running backs. Although I have who my favorite running back is in the draft, um, the Jets out of that they don't have any chance of getting him. And I'm really, no. I can't wait to see where this guy goes because I think that he is a solid I think he's the most complete back in the draft um and I'm talking about Brees Hall yeah um out of Iowa State I am a huge fan of his I don't think that the Jets would get him but I definitely think either in somewhere between the fourth or fifth round I think the Jets need to take a running back or in the fourth or fifth round take the best quarterback available for me zach wilson for me he 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 needs to show me something this year i need to see a tremendous improvement from his part and i i don't I'm, i don't trust flacco i'm not a fan i mean I, white is okay he did all right for what he was able to do he's gonna get expensive I, real quick though and this yeah, is the thing, for a backup he's gonna be able to sit there and say i came in and threw for 405 yards and yes. other teams might want to come give me a chance to be a starter if they think i can right. be something and a cheap option for them if they need a quarterback where you're his market's going to get driven up more so than it probably needs to so mm-hmm. draft a backup quarterback a year early i'm not against it i'm yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm i'm with it and i put it this way if carson strong is still available in the fourth or fifth round i take him quarterback out of Nevada. I can see it. I can see it. I, I, I take I, I take him. And and 
if if a team really likes, let me put it this way. I, I just want another backup for Zach Wilson. In the event yeah. that it turns out that he doesn't get significantly better from last year to this year, um, and you also have to take into account just the way he plays, you know, you have to take into account injury. I would much rather have a, a backup quarterback that that can, you know, I'm just, you know, I just don't flack. I just don't think Flacco's the guy. He's so, not. Right. He's not a long-term answer, even if he is the guy for this year. So where it's yeah. like it's it's regardless of how you want to look at it, you know that Joe Flacco is not going to be the sustainable long-term backup for Zach Wilson. And yes. ideally, you want to find a sustainable backup that you can bring in in the event of an emergency that you don't have to change your offense with, mm-hmm. that you can call the same plays that you don't have to, you know, limit yourself because you have a guy that isn't capable of doing all the same things that your starter is. And that's hard. Obviously, mm-hmm. there's physical talent that goes along with that. And there's reasons guys are backups in general. But mm-hmm. Carson Strong has enough arm strength and enough mobility to run the bootlegs, to run the shots downfield to where you're not going to have to be completely changing your offensive structure um, with him as a backup, where if you had like a Bailey Zappi, for instance, at a Western Kentucky, completely different style of quarterback where a lot more timing based, a lot more touch based, a lot more, you know, really accurate on time is, you know, quick decision maker, but his arm strength isn't wowing anybody. And you're never calling the 55 yard deep shots where you're expecting him to drape it over the guy's head and let Elijah Moore run under it. So I, I could be on board with that. It wouldn't necessarily be my favorite outright top per what I would want thing to do at the end of the draft, Mm -hmm. because I do think this team still just needs talent everywhere. And so there's something to just, adding more talent to the roster overall that includes the quarterback position yep. that includes backup quarterback. I'm not, I can't sit here and say that adding talent to the overall roster excludes this one spot in this one position. So I'm, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be against that. If the right guy is there, I think Carson strong would be a really solid fit as a backup. Um, last person I want to talk about before we get out of here. And I'm going to say this all the time with this next few weeks, because we're just going to keep extending these shows. Slamat and I miss talking to each other. Um, Brees Hall, love him. Think he's going to be great. Think he's going to go too high for the Jets to get. Yep. Kenneth Walker, same deal. Love him. Think he's going to be great. Think he's going to go too high. We both agree, as we've said for a long time, the Jets need a hammer. And they need someone to pair with Michael Carter to really bring some physical element. I told you a guy a little uh, few months ago to go watch, which was Tyler Algier at BYU. I don't know if you had gotten quite to him. I think you had seen a little bit of him, but I got another guy for you. And this will be the guy I want to come back in. So next week we'll lead off the show with Lamont scouting report on this guy here. Zamir white from Georgia. Yes. Yes. That's yes. That no, that was, I agree with you. I agree with you on that. I I like him. I like him. I'm sitting here looking for notes. They call him Zeus for a reason. I I like that. I, I like that. I think that he was the guy that I was looking at six feet, two fourteen. Um, he kind of gives you speed and yeah, it shows up on tape. Yeah. Once he gets to the yeah. open field, he's got another gear. He can hit the edge and he can hit the corner and he's a load to bring down. Oh, here's my guy. Here's my guy. Okay. Hit me with it. I like Brian Robertson Jr. Out of Alabama. He's yeah. He fits too. He's got such good feet for a big guy. Yes. I like, I like him. I think he's a natural pass catcher out the backfield. Good hands, Ooh. six to 225 pounds. I like yep. that. So I will definitely. You I'm remember a, TJ Yeldon who went to Alabama yes. a while back. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You remember him? You remember Steven Ridley at LSU? Steven Ridley. Yep. He's just like those guys. Okay. 
that's that's how I see Brian Robinson to me, where it's 6'1", 230, mm-hmm. solid speed, but not great, not going to wow you with anything, but good feet in the hole and can be used as receivers better than you would think for their size. Like, yeah. and pass protect the hell out of you. Yes, and that's the concern for me with Kenneth Walker is that he's, yeah. a, he's a good natural runner, but he doesn't have a lot of experience as a receiver out the backfield and he and and just the whole pass protection. I mean, when you think about what Michigan State did, they were a run heavy team. Yeah. They lined up, I believe, in 21 personnel or two tight personnel. They only had two wide receivers on the field. And yeah. then those guys, you know, they they're running him in between. Yeah, they're in wing T sometimes. Yeah, he's good in between the tackles, but in today's NFL, well, always you you want a guy that you can trust in pass protection. And I think that Robinson gives you that. And I'm definitely going to take the look at um is it Kyler Gordon? Kyler Gordon no. at Washington is the corner, and then Zamir White's the running back at Zamir Georgia. White. Yes, Zamir White. That's who it is, Zamir White. I'm going to take a look at him. I, I saw a couple of plays on him. I'm going to take a deeper dive into his film. Mm-hmm. But he was a guy. Listen, for me, I don't think you can ever go wrong with a Georgia running back. No, sir. Yeah, you, no, <laughs> sir. You can never go wrong. Right there with you on that one. Just <laughs> so, check it off. Yeah, yeah. So I'm definitely going to take a look at that, man. But Drew, listen, bro, it was it was good to talk to you, man. Good to be back on the show. Um, I'm looking forward to breaking down more of this film and um, just seeing where the draft leads us, man. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I can't wait to be back. Very glad to be back. Uh, Excited for this next week. It's going to be a lot, but we're really excited for it. And then once it ends, we're going to be breaking down all the guys they do get and really telling you how things are going to go. So thanks guys again so much for listening. And we'll be talking real soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.